Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, as I am each and every month, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Craig Joseph. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Nordic Consulting. Craig, thanks for joining me. I, uh, just like with you, it is a pleasure and something I look forward to every month. I doubt that completely, but okay, I'll believe it just this once. Realistically, it's the $100,000 a month that you pay me, but um, we'll just go with... It's an honor and privilege. I only wish that were true because that would make me a rich man too. So, um, <laughs> so uh, we're looking at news from uh, February of this year, and it would be impossible to consider the world without ChatGPT. In fact, I think ChatGPT has taken over everything, is producing all content, um, and if you haven't heard of it, um, you must have been hiding underneath uh, a mushroom somewhere. I think I previously said that I was actually Chat GPT. You did, um, but and, and in in the month or two since I said that, it's uh, I've become more of Chat GPT. <laughs> the thing is really cool, and and um, this generative AI, as it's called, um, I don't understand how it works, but I do. We are seeing more and more actual real use cases for it besides um, the high school or a college student who has an essay due. Um, certainly, it's it's pretty good for them, uh, although a significant chunk of what it says is just garbage. So that's a problem because uh, I think the teachers and professors might, might see through that. But um, there have been some exciting uses um, or use cases probably is better better term uh, for chat GPT in healthcare that people are exploring. None of these are mainstream, in my opinion, yet, but they seem exceedingly promising um, even today. So let me just give you one example that kind of uh, shocked me. Taking lab results or very specific kinds of um, imaging or or results and and having chat GPT kind of translate it from doctor talk into regular person talk. And I, I, it, it's, it did a really good job. So essentially, you give it a, a prompt. That's the input that you give and say, create a message uh, for a patient who has a potassium of X uh, with uh, congestive heart failure, you know, and then recommend that they uh, continue their, their dose of uh, diuretic or whatever it is that they, whatever it is that you want to say. And um, it does a really good job. Of of writing it, and it's probably. So, uh, I this is this is really interesting, but I think it's important to clarify, and I want to make sure that this is true, which is why I'm interrupting you. It, did you validate the content? Because that's one of the things that we see repeatedly. So this was when you say it was really really good. It was really really good clinically. It was accurate and it was correct. at yes. Now this is a pretty simplistic example that I gave you, and, mm-hmm. and this was the kind of of uh, response that that I saw. And this wasn't I didn't come up with this. Let me be clear that I've just been kind of poking around the interwebs and seeing what people are doing. This was one of them. So basically, the use cases um, pouring. Uh, or putting significant lab results or imaging results uh, in doctor talk and then having it 
give it give you a uh, return a, a patient specific or a more kind of patient centric version of that. Of course, a hundred percent, the doctor needs to validate it, and that's why I was saying like, hey, these are just people playing around at this point. However, one could imagine within uh, um, a few years, this being an automatic tool that's incorporated into the electronic health record that doctors and nurses are using, where it, whereby it can kind of um, uh, automate a lot of this, uh, a, a lot of the messages that go back and forth. I, I don't know how long until we're comfortable with doing it without validation, if ever. I'm not sure that I would ever be, but everything's changing so quickly. I, I wouldn't, I would never say never at this point, but it, it's a, it's a use case that I never really thought of before. And, um, or it seems, seems pretty good at um, also giving patient uh, advice. So again, um, say if a patient uh, uh, writes to their physician via the patient portal and says, you know, Hey, I've got, I'm having side effects from this medicine and I'm not sure if I should stay on it. Typically, the patient, the physician's going to have to write up a, a pretty nice response to that because that's not a yes or no question. That that's going to take you know some time, and to be able to put into this uh, this generative AI and say, hey, write a response to a patient who's concerned about a side effect from this medicine. Uh, make sure they realize that uh, research shows that there's no need for them to change, and this will probably go away in one to two weeks. And um, tell them about the warning signs to call me back if it gets worse. Right. And what I just said was probably much wordier than it needed to be. And then the thing spits out like three, three paragraphs that are are uh, typically dead on. And um, because again, none of this is really rocket science. And and for um, you know, these are not complicated questions that we're we're posing. I, I just thought, wow, that's really great. And that's that could be used today, today, if. The physician does a good job of reviewing it very carefully before it goes out, and we're talking about two or three paragraphs. So I think it's it's a great. Um, th those are some things that I I had never never seen coming. Like I I didn't I didn't think of that. If you would have told me that four or five months ago, uh, that there'd be a tool that could do this um, pretty well today, I would I would have not believed you. And and yet there it is. And and this is uh, uh, GPT three. Again, just one vendor that's doing this right now, and we know that Google and others are out there lurking and and uh, potentially being even further ahead, but not gone public yet. Um, and and my understanding is Chat GP or GPT four is um, is likely to come out by the end of the year, and will uh, be even more uh, like exponentially better. Um, and I'm already kind of stupefied by how how cool this is at, at this point. So just the, some of the uses in, in healthcare specifically, I, I'd never anticipated. And I think there's more coming every day. People are trying to, to use it. Um, again, you can you can run into trouble when you, I think I've seen physicians use it to generate uh, appeal letters to insurance companies. Um, and you specific, and they've specifically said cite the literature <laughs> and it cites made up articles. So that's not cool. Yeah. So I, I think you hit, for me, the key point, and, and that is that there are so many other more uh, opportunities to be explored. And what, what I, I think chat GPT has done has opened the door in the same way that we saw that with some other technology, made it more accessible, more acceptable in many instances, 
and you know has essentially allowed people to go wow this is really cool and interesting but it comes with a bunch of caveats and you know that was why i interrupted because i've seen a number of instances and you even highlighted it where you know it gets it wrong not even not even just wrong but actually makes stuff up which uh, let's be clear people do that as well um <laughs> most of what i say nick is made up i think you well, know you that. are chat gpt so we expect that but it's okay if I make it up. It's not okay if a machine makes it up. I think that's what you're saying. Right. <laughs> exactly. Machines? Absolutely <laughs> not. So um, so, so let's just for a second, for, for the benefit of people to understand. So, you know, chat GPT. So, you know, what is it? Well, generative pre-trained transformer is what GPT stands for, which put another way is a word predictor. That's essentially what it does. And, you know, you talked about GPT-3 to 4. What was the difference between 1, 2, and 3? Well, it was a number of parameters or data. And 1, I think, had about 100 or so million. Uh, 2 was up in the 1.5 billion, so consuming much more. And 3 was up to 175. And then, ostensibly, people hear that and go, oh, right, 4 is going to be out there. And yeah, they're going to add a bit more, but actually more is not always less. We've seen others, I'm trying to think, I, I want to say it was IBM, I forget which one, had somewhere of the order of 530 billion parameters. And it wasn't, you know, any, more, any way better. It's more about fine tuning. But that word predictor is important in all of this, because essentially what it's doing is pulling from all that data and saying, what do I think is the most likely next piece of data to send out? And, you know, I, I can't be certain of this, but, you know, the errors, the made up, I'm willing to bet has appeared somewhere in its data set. That's why it, it's got that. I don't know if that's true. I'm not deeply sort of invested in that. But I'm with you. I'm excited, but I'm also a little bit cautious because I've seen, you know, some of this overextension. I've used it. I'll say non-healthcare. I was at a an event. It was a, for a bit of fun, actually. But you know how they always say, all right, everybody introduce themselves. And you're sort of, what do I do say? So I asked ChatGPT to give me an intro. It was actually pretty cool. And I did declare it, and you know this this intro was, and you know it, it was it was funny, but it was actually a pretty good use case, and it it had data about me, which was also kind of interesting. But it's it's still limited. However, here's the one thing that I I, I feel is important to sort of emphasize in all of this, and that is. You know, there's all this concern, you know, are you using, and I follow two different people, one who says, I'm actually declaring that I never use chat GPT or human generated content, and somebody else that actually has a, you know, generated with the help of, and I actually think both extreme, well, actually, the other is not an extreme, but the point that I think that was made to me that I think is entirely relevant here, nobody puts checked by a uh, spell checker before they send out stuff. Or in my case, I use Grammarly all the time. Thank God, because my typing is awful. I'm pretty sure that my grammar, 
I don't know if my spelling is anymore because I write nothing and my typing is so bad it always produces lots of errors. But I don't put a little subtext that says, hey, check by. But that's essentially doing similar kinds of things. So I think we're going to move past that. And I'm incredibly excited by this, mainly because it's opened the door in a way that has made this accessible. If you aren't trying it, you're missing out. You've, you're just missing out on the fun as much as anything else. I've had it do all sorts of crazy things and it's been quite entertaining. In fact, I'm even working on a presentation and I used it to sort of come up with an outline, the whole thing. And it's pretty cool at that. So I'm excited about it, but I think we have to sort of temper it. But you know, the enthusiasm shouldn't be killed along with, oh, my God, it made this terrible error. We should, you know, I saw somebody saying you should control it and, you know, limit AI use. Uh, well, I, no, I'm, I, I mean, let's not have it decide on medication therapy, perhaps, but open this up. This is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I have to say, like, the last time I was as excited about a technology, it was, it was Google. I mean, to me, in terms of kind of transforming, you know, Google changed for, for I think all of us. Um, and I, I guess I shouldn't say Google. I should say search. But let's be honest, it's Google. You know, <laughs> uh, we don't argue very much anymore about facts. Well, that's funny that I just said that. Um, things are knowable. Like, hey, what, what was that TV show back in the seventies? Like, hey, who was? You know, when did that? Uh, um, test come out like these are things that we now can find out because of search and the and the internet and um this seems like the next the next frontier uh, and again emphasize what i said earlier this is one company and and um and they're not even charging money for, for this yet i think they're pretty close uh i see now that uh that you can pay them 20 dollars a month and and get uh, expedited service and not get kicked out there have been a couple of times where I've tried to go in and play around with it. And it's like, hey, we're too busy. Call us later. Uh, so, so for a little bit of money, you can you can bypass that. But I, I I'm with you. And I, I again, I think as long as we're um, we're all on the same page that we probably shouldn't be deciding what surgery you should have because Chat GPT, we put your symptoms in there, and Chat GPT came out with some suggestions. Although, might be a good starting point. I don't know, but certainly <laughs> it should be uh, not the ending point, right? I wonder what would have happened if if uh, Gregory House had had access to Chat GPT during that TV series. <laughs> yeah, and and one thing just to I know we keep uh, kind of beating this uh, this uh, topic, but um, it seems now that a lot of it is the prompt, right? I I remember the first the weekend this this came out that I at least the first weekend I heard about it, someone wrote something about a new job called a prompt engineer a prompt engineer. They said that's going to be the new thing and that people will be paid um, because they have expertise in mm -hmm. knowing how to, to tame the AI so that the, what you want out, they can put the words in to get what you want out. And I kind of rolled my eyes at that. Um, and then a couple things happened. One, this weekend I read in the newspaper that there is now uh, an advertisement uh, from some company for a, a prompt engineer uh, making, I'm not making this up, $250,000 a year. And so I thought that's pretty cool for a job that I don't think existed six months ago. Um, and secondly, I was telling another physician colleague of mine about um, some, uh, I, it was a blog post that I was thinking of writing. And again, as we explore this, I was like, hey, let me see if I can get the 
ChatGPT to write this blog post for me. And I, I put in the idea and it came out with just garbage. It was just horrible because it didn't see what I was trying to connect. And I, I mentioned this to a, a colleague of mine. And he's like, yeah, you, you didn't put in the right prompt. And, and he seems to have some kind of natural born ability because um, uh, he showed me some, some of the things that he's, he's come up with. And uh, so I, I do think there's that as well. So it's, it's you know, putting in the, the correct prompt um, or at least putting in the information that the AI needs to direct it to where you want to go is not, um, is not obvious. So there are some of us that have this uh, uh, ability. I'm not one of them, apparently. Um, but I, I do think it's it's interesting, and and again, just kind of this idea that I could um, you know take I could take a, a an op node, an operative node, and just say, hey, um, make this uh, into uh, one paragraph with seven sentences, uh, explain to the patient what we just did. Um, boy, wow. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Craig Joseph. He's the chief medical officer at Nordic Consulting, where uh, uh, news you can use for February. And uh, we were just talking about chat GPT. Um, as Craig described, uh, the prompt uh, engineer, I would say the prompt whisperer, or let's say the chat GPT whisperer is the uh, new, uh, I'm the chief Jap chat GPT whisperer. And I, I'm actually going to say that I was pretty good at some of this stuff, uh, certainly my results. Um, <laughs> and there are some super experts, as we saw with the launch of uh, Microsoft's version of it, which which took a nosedive along <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, I, I think it was Yo or Yi or whatever it was called, that uh, that was theirs as well. So it's not quite as easy as people make out in all of this. So anyway, great conversation. Let's uh, move on to a couple of other things whilst we've still got time. Uh, Mastodon, uh, still a thing, uh, but is anybody getting anything out there? Turns out there's some new ways to do so, right? Yeah, so Mastodon is uh, another social media app really kind of showing up as a, um, a pseudo competitor of, of Twitter. Uh, I say pseudo because it's not a company. It's a, it's a, it's a network, a, a distributed network. And don't ask me to tell you anything more because I don't really understand. But basically, as I understand it, no one's in charge of Mastodon. And so um, there's, there's uh, no risk of a company selling advertising or, or doing anything else. Yeah, so there's a, a new app called Ivory. Get it? Mastodon. Ivory, <laughs> that, oh that <laughs> it's out in beta. I know it's pretty cool, and so uh, uh, I, I'm I'm starting to explore that. But uh, you know, Twitter is still there, and LinkedIn is still there, and Facebook is still there. Did, did they did they consult the Craig Joseph marketing uh, uh, company for that naming? If they had, I I wouldn't need the hundred thousand dollars that you're paying me every <laughs> month to to appear on this podcast, but. Uh, no, they they sadly did not, and also sadly, I've never gotten any of the money you promised me. So, I have to keep coming to I work said every day. Chat GPT, where I got my wow. uh, money's worth. They, yeah, I think so. I think that's a much better, <laughs> much better use. So, yeah, Mastodon is interesting. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Uh, you know, Twitter is Twitter's a whole thing, uh, and we'll we'll see. I think the the jury's still out on Twitter, but uh, uh, Mastodon seems to be making a. Uh, a surprising jump. And I think what's interesting is actually it's different groups. Like there's a, mm. you know, there's something we, I think we still call med Twitter, you know, and those are healthcare professionals that, that are active on Twitter and ask questions and interact. And 
IT is another one where there's a lot of technology folks that are used to be on Twitter are moving en masse to Mastodon, as I understand it. So it, it'll be interesting to see if these certain subpopulations kind of uh, bail and go from one place to another place. Mostly it just forces us to, to post our things on multiple social media if we want to you want to yeah, that's, interact that's, with so everyone. Far, that's been my experience, I got to say. But um, I, I'm there, but I'm not really there. It's uh, I, I think they uh, somebody had a term um, post and dump or something. I, anyway, it's it's um, I, I'm I, I've done a little bit, but it's really sort of it's it's out there. I, I got to ask you. I'm 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 gonna. I, we've talked about this, I know before, but direct to consumer advertising of drugs occurs in two countries. One is the United States. The other is New Zealand. Still don't understand why New Zealand is there. But the US, huge market, really interesting article in JAMA uh, that looked at the association of uh, the drug characteristics and the amount of money that was spent on it. And worryingly, not surprisingly, in my view, the drug companies spend more money advertising if the drug showed less clinical benefit. Why, Craig Joseph, does the United States still allow direct-to-consumer advertising of drugs? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I, I don't think it's a still. Um, you know, the question I would have in my mind is why did we start in the first place? Um, yeah, that's also a good question, but it, it, I don't know the answer to that. I, it, yeah, uh, back in the day, um, medic, you know, uh, pharmacies, pharmacies, uh, drug companies could sell or uh, advertise prescription medications only in uh, journals or other tools that were focused on physicians because they're the ones that control it. It's a prescription medication that we're talking about. And um, uh, I, I have to say, I'm not aware of why that changed, but boy, it did. And it and it's um, uh, I think everyone that's uh, not under a rock knows because you can't turn on a, a, a television uh, or watch a show without kind of like, hey, do you have these symptoms or do you have this disease? So uh, my question is not why. Why are we still doing this? Why did we start in the first place? I, I the only rationale could be that um, there are patients out there who have diseases or symptoms uh, for which there are medications that might help them, prescription medications, and they were not aware, so hence they did not ask their physician. I am sure that that's the the rationale that was explained to um, our our, uh, representatives and senators who, who made this happen. I suspect there's not data to support that, and and this article is a, is another piece in the puzzle to say that that's probably not the case. But I'm not sure that that genie's out of the bottle. I'm not sure how you're going to get that genie back in. Yeah, it it's is, interesting. It, interesting, you say piece in the puzzle, not nail in the coffin, which is what I'd like it to be. But I'm pretty sure you're correct. It's uh, there. There ain't no changing that uh, that particular process. Unfortunately, it's it. it I, I got to say, it's really troubling. I, I'm all over patient awareness and, you know, making sure that people understand. But the context of all of this, especially with these fractional improvements that you see with some drugs where, you know, they change just a little bit and then, you know, suddenly you've got to get the latest and greatest that's off pattern. It's very troubling. So we've got a little bit of time left. Um, uh, You and I, I think, are both uh, big coffee drinkers in some version. Uh, In the remaining time, I saw a piece that talked about coffee essentially borrowing from your sleep bank and it won't give you the energy. You, you Essentially, you have to pay it back at some point. 
I don't buy that. I drink gallons of the stuff, albeit up until a certain point in the day. And then I just, I stop wanting it, quite frankly. But I really do drink a lot of coffee. Do, do you ever have trouble with your caffeine addiction? I'm saying you're an addict. I'm, I, I don't know if that's true, but I'm an addict and I'm proud of it, of caffeine anyway. I mean, Nick, I haven't slept since 1990. So I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. I I uh, I do drink uh, coffee, generally of the iced variety. And uh, like you, I don't seem to notice sleeping differences between when I do drink coffee and when I don't drink coffee. That's not to say that someone with a, all kinds of wires connected to my head, I might notice, but uh, they might notice, but I, I don't seem to notice one. But um, that's why we do studies and that's why we do research and, and um and of course, like you, anything that dis that I disagree with, uh, based on my personal experience, I just dismiss, like you just did. So because you don't like it, so then you're just going to say it's not real, and that's fine, Nick. You that's uh, not very scientific. Well, of I, I actually I wasn't going to say that's not real. I'm just going to say what is wrong with you Americans and ice in these iced tea for crying out loud? There's there's nothing right about that, and there's nothing right about iced coffee either. Unfortunately, Craig. There is no time for you to give any funny repast. We have run out of time as we have each and every week. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Craig. Thank you, Nick. And uh, this is the last uh, episode that will ever occur because of you saying bad things about iced coffee. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, The Incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 